should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Thursday. It's Thursday, August 11th. Um, wow, I think <laughs> the days are just passing by. So thank you so much for joining me here today. We've got a packed show for you, a very exciting show, two great guests, uh, one who's been on the show many, many times um, and is extremely knowledgeable, an activist, an educator, a blogger, a writer, and also has had her hand in um, being an attorney, and that is Melanie Nathan, uh, who is the executive director of the African Human Rights Campaign, an organization that she started all on her own. And there's been some news out of Uganda, and so, of course, uh, she is the perfect person to turn to to discuss what's happening in Uganda in terms of the LGBTQ community. So let's get our show started. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And uh, let's welcome Melanie Nathan to the program. Mel, thanks so much for being with me. Sure. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, as always, <laughs> you're always invited here. I just love, love, love what you do. So the first person I thought of turning to uh, upon hearing all of this news lately coming out of Uganda um, is regarding Uganda uh, Pride. And so it just wasn't too long ago that Uganda had their very first Pride. I think, was it just last year? No, actually, they've had about four years worth of Pride. Um, but, you know, it's, they've got more bold over time. In the beginning, it was even more clandestine and fewer people, but it's progressed and um, turned into quite an event. And unfortunately, this event has been interrupted this year. It's most unfortunate. Oh, okay. Yeah, thanks so much for clarifying that. It was unclear. Um, as you're right, you know, uh, we've heard a lot of, of uh, the anti-LGBTQ um, issues that affect the LGBTQ community in Uganda. And so um, things like pride, when they become visible, we hear of all the horrible news in terms of violence. And so what exactly happened this year? It sounds like uh, even major activists were arrested and or were subject to the continued violence. Yeah, it was really, really horrible what happened. It was a pre-pride event held at a club in Uganda, and what happened was it was actually a beauty pageant and that people were on stage and having a great time. It was well attended. And suddenly police in riot gear stormed in with machine guns. Oh, no. And pushed people around, uh, looked at the trans people or the people who were dressing in drag 
and started fondling them to see what their sexuality was, or in their estimation, try to determine uh, their gender, I should say, uh, rather, uh, by touching and feeling. There were assaults. Um, there was one young man who got so afraid, he jumped off the building off a fourth floor and was severely injured uh, and taken to hospital. Uh, the police detained, I believe, 16 people, including the very well-known activist and award winner Frank Mugisha, as well as Pepe Anziema, and I think Claire was also um, detained. These are well-known people who are open about their sexuality and upfront and have a lot of international recognition. Um, it was a the allegation on the part of the Minister of Integrity and Ethics, who I think probably had a hand in calling for this raid, was that the people did not have a right to assembly and that they should have had police permission. And according to the LGBT side, this was not the case at all. There is a legal dispute, obviously, that's going to develop out of this. What seems to have happened was highly unconstitutional. And um, imagine, imagine, you know, it was. it seems like this is, on some level, their stonewall. Imagine being in a private club and suddenly being stormed by police in that fashion. It was just horrendous. Thanks for so much for bringing up the, the legal part, because that was going to be my next question. I mean, the last we heard coming out of Uganda, they were trying to pass the anti-gay bill that would have of uh, criminalize someone found you know guilty of being gay essentially or LGBTQI um, up to life in prison and or at some point even death it it seemed like and and then that bill then um, it, in some way it, it it went away because it couldn't be passed from a technicality they didn't have quorum uh, at the time so. I know that you've talked about it before, but since then, what has happened in terms of the legal front in Uganda when it comes to LGBTQI equality? Now, thanks. That's a really good question, Michelle. And let's frame what happened in the context of the law. So you're right. The, the Anti-Homosexuality Act was passed by Parliament in Uganda in 2014. And in that act, it included an anti-promotion clause. The entire Anti-Homosexuality Act was struck down by the Ugandan courts as invalid because, you're right, they did not have a quorum in Parliament. And this obviously enraged the government. Now, that what stands right now on the Ugandan law books is the old draconian English penal code, which criminalizes homosexuality with very vague language, acts against the order of nature. And the government in Uganda is interpreting that also to include um, a ban on promotion of homosexuality or homosexual acts. But it's all very, very, very vague. And so what I think they were trying to do here is stop the so-called promotion, even though they're hiding behind this so-called assembly, uh, you know, the, a law against assembling um, in, a, in a public place. None of it's making real sense. Um, but the penal code does exist, which criminalizes homosexuality right now. And the Anti-Homosexuality Act has not been brought um, to fruition again. So this is stuff that I think is irking the Ugandan government. And um, the partners, on there's a coalition of human rights defenders forming right now, as we speak in Uganda, to go and challenge what occurred. And I would 
not want to speak to what their plans are or what they are going to do yet to defend this until such time as they in Uganda make it public themselves. Now, uh, you know, a certain individual, his name is popping up in the news lately, and that's uh, uh, Museveni, um, right? Tell us about who he is and, and his relationship to, or I guess uh, his impact on the anti-LGBTQI climate. Um, yes. he's, is he the current president? Yeah, so Museveni is the president, but he's not the guy. I mean, he is the guy we should worry about because he sort of does whatever makes him popular in the moment. So if the populace is saying, hang the homosexuals, he'll sign the bill and go along with that. The people we need to worry about is Simon Lakata, who's the Minister of uh, Ethics and Integrity, and the other guy is a, 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 minister, a member of parliament uh, who's the Minister for, actually the Minister for Information and National Guidance, and his name is Frank Tumwebase. And he issued a statement, which I actually have put on my blog, which people should read. It really gives an insight into how LGBT people are being treated, perceived from the government standpoint. And, you know, they come up with language in the statement like protect the traditional family units um, from emerging internal and external threats. Uphold that same-sex attraction is not an innate and immutable characteristic. Protect the cherished culture of the people of Uganda, legal, religious, and traditional family values. Protect the children and youth of Uganda who are made vulnerable to sexual abuse. I mean, with this kind of language, it's inciting violence. It's inciting terrible um, harm against the LGBT community. And these are the statements that are being put in the Uganda press by members of parliament right now. Michelle Miel, we're speaking with activist Melanie Nathan, who is the executive director of the Human Rights, uh, I'm sorry, the African Human Rights uh, Campaign. Coalition. Coalition. I'm so sorry. (laughs) There's so many acronyms in our community. Um, I get stumbled. Thank you so much for clarifying that. And we're having a discussion about Uganda and uh, the most recent violent I'm going to say attacks against the LGBTQI community simply for trying to celebrate pride. Um, you know, Melanie, you mentioned Frank Magisha, a human rights activist out of Uganda, who's been very um, outspoken when it comes to equal rights and treatment in African nations. He was, you know, tweeting and he was on social media and he has since, you know, been speaking to the media and has written his own account of what's happening. Um, and, and being so, it could continue to be outspoken. My worries would be, you know, his safety. We have heard before of murders even of LGBTQI activists from the African countries. I mean, what are your thoughts about Frank being so outspoken and, and kind of, you know, does it seem like the community is uniting to continue to fight against the government for this horrible treatment? This is an extraordinary, courageous, active, robust LGBT community, and they are to be commended. And Frank Magisha definitely plays a leadership role. You know, it's kind of an anomaly or an irony that the uh, human rights defenders have a higher level of protection. They have money for security that um, they're able to raise. They also are being... Um, kept an eye on by uh, different embassies that are in Uganda, and there's this uh, political reason to try and keep people like that safe, although they're not really safe. You know, anybody could strike out 
with the correct insight. The people that I worry tremendously about are your average LGBTI person in a family on the street mm-hmm. who's outed in the press. What happened at this raid was that police took photographs and threatened, and they've done it in the past, and they might do it now, to put these people's faces in the public media through TV and um, news media. So, you know, those are the people that are in extreme danger because they don't have security and they don't have the protection that human rights defenders are afforded and they don't have a way out of the country if they need to get out in a hurry or at all. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the same kind of uh, conversation that we've been having actually since you and I uh, met and have been doing the work that we do, and this has been several years um, I wonder, you know, kind of what your thoughts are in terms of if it will get better for African nations to consider LGBTQ rights as human rights. You know, um, I, I do believe that over time things will get better. And when you look, I think, you know, several countries in Africa that, I mean, many countries in Africa that criminalize homosexuality are almost... decades behind us and look where where we've come you know now I don't know that we have the en masse severe brutality and the government trying to legislate killing us to the extent that is going on in Africa right now and you know the religious missionaries and the people that are going there the the extreme Christian evangelicals are the ones who are stirring this up that has got to stop if we hear in the West can find a way to stop these people from going there and spreading hate and asserting that being LGBTI is uncultural against African culture. If we can stop outside of it, maybe we can make an impact. Uh, But I do believe things will change. I believe there will be some evolving and it's just going to take a very long time. Mel, I'm going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I want to continue our discussion. I actually do want to ask you about uh, Western leaders and what they can be doing to help those in African nations when it comes to LGBTQ rights. So stay with us, okay? Sure. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit pacificfertilitycenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale.org. 
G-R-E-C-A-R-E.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Thursday, August 11th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our special guest on the phone talking about Uganda and LGBTQ rights is Melanie Nathan, who's an activist herself and also writer, blogger, and uh, an attorney and a woman with so many hats and so many talents. She's on the phone with us. She's also the executive director of the African Human Rights Coalition. Mel, thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy day to speak to us. Thanks, Michelle. This is um, very helpful to be, you know, to have the audience and have people aware of what's going on. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's 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 all over the news, and and it, you know the. We hear these stories, and my fear is being desensitized um, to it. And, and, you know, after marriage equality and kind of where the LGBTQ community is here in the United States in terms of our movement, there's certainly, you know, some of us who have acclimated and assimilated well um, into, I guess you could say, the, the, <laughs> the general society of being, you know, more tolerated, more accepted. And then there's a lot of us who still continue to face discrimination, to face, um, you know, the fight for equal rights. That's still happening here in America. But before the break, you had mentioned that there are religious groups, even from our country, who are traveling all the way to countries like Uganda to promote anti-LGBTQ propaganda. The interesting thing about what's happening in a country like Uganda, who just tried to, um, I guess, you know, uh, what what they're what they're doing in terms of like breaking up pride and using the fact that LGBTQI people are breaking the law by trying to promote, you know, sex or sexuality or 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 ho- uh, homosexuality. Even that that's so similar to like Russia's anti-LGBTQ. Um, propaganda bill. What are your thoughts? Well, um, you know, this is something that they've been trying to do. It's a way of shutting down human rights organizations. It's a way of stopping funding. If you can get an anti-promotion clause into legislation, what you then are able to do is close down bank accounts, close down NGOs, um, this kind of thing. Uganda circumvented that Anti-Homosexuality Act being defunct by actually launching an anti-NGO bill, which is on the books, and that is very harmful to all human rights organizations. I think that bill is actually constitutional, and I think it's going through some kind of challenge right now. But, Michelle, if you don't mind, really quickly, you did mention saying what people should or shouldn't do. Can I speak to that? Because I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah. I was just trying to, you know, make the the connection between how so many people are, they have a hand 
in contributing right. to the anti-LGBTQ climate. And it's not it's right. it's the religious groups here in this country. It could be leaders here in this country. And it could be right. the influence of like countries like even Russia in, in having these other countries replicate their very harmful bills. Right. Uh, but, yeah, right. let's talk about, you know, what people could yeah. be doing. Yeah, just on point of what you said, you know, there's a case now under the Alien Tort Act against Scott Lively, who happened to be the one who went to Uganda and went to Russia. And But you're right, both countries are. Where did that come from? Where's the tie? Well, go on Scott Lively's blog and you'll see he's talking of boasting about what he did in Russia. And he's a little bit reticent now on Uganda, now that the Ugandans are suing him in America for crimes against humanity. But um, back to how people should react or not react, us, we, us in the West, the, I'm, I come from the perspective of what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't overimpose, we, we shouldn't overexpose, and we shouldn't overstate um, because that can serve to cause a backlash. So there's a measured response we have to take. And what we need to do when we respond to any of this is take direction from the activists who are on the ground in Uganda. Um, you know, to go willy-nilly and say boycott or do this or do that from our perspective is not always helpful to what's going on in Uganda. And the other important thing is be careful of people who reach out and pretend they're being helpful or people who um, say that they represent certain organizations, everything that goes on needs to be verified and checked out with the activists on the ground who know exactly what's going on. And the other thing we can do is help support people in exile. These are the real, genuine, authentic voices. And the people that come here as refugees or seeking asylum, those are the people that our LGBT community in America should be nurturing and helping. And I don't see enough of that in our community. So for someone like you who's here in the United States um, but continue to help those who are looking for, you know, exile or options uh, to be more safe from African nations, how are you doing it? How are you keeping in contact with those who are on the ground? Yeah. So there's a network, there are coalitions, and there's specific activists. And um, our organization, African Human Rights Coalition, we have what we call our ambassadors on the ground, and these are people that keep us informed and also provide us with instruction on how we should respond given a particular situation. The actual Pride Parade in Uganda has been cancelled or postponed, and um, how we react to that, we need to take um, instruction from the ground. Now, the response has been a little bit slow this time because it was pretty chaotic, what occurred. I don't think people were quite ready for the extreme brutality of what occurred this past week. And now the coalitions are getting together right now to come out with joint statements and um, a response as to how international partners and um, communities should react after what happened uh, this past week. As we wrap up our conversation, Mel, you know, here uh, in the United States, we uh, we have an election year. How exciting. <laughs> We've got, you know, crazy. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess he could he could be mad at me for saying that or he maybe he doesn't care. But uh, presidential candidate Donald Trump. And then we've got uh, the Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. But whoever's there uh, come November or I guess when they're seated, that's January. 
um, as it as it turns out in terms of like foreign relations and things like this when we're talking about human rights. Obviously, I think you and I can agree that Hillary Clinton would be the better um, candidate to deal with those issues. What do you hope for if she does become our next president? And and uh, do you think that she could really lead other countries to to make it better in terms of human rights? I really think that she can. And, um, you know, personally, you know that I think Donald Trump, and I'll say it on the air, is like a million sandwiches short of a picnic. The guy is completely <laughs> out to lunch. And it terrifies me for the LGBT global community to think that he will come in. It'll be an absolute disaster. And especially, you know, when he, you know, there are many Muslim LGBT refugees. Imagine if this religious uh, test of his were to happen, that people who are suffering sexuality persecution would be excluded from coming into our country through, through UNHCR scrutiny as refugees. I mean, it's just outrageous. My hope for the Clinton administration would be that they would continue much along the lines of President Obama's policy towards what's been going on, which um, Secretary of State Clinton participated in during her tenure. And I think that um, if we continue along those lines, maybe somewhat even more measured in how we comment publicly um, on the things that make the Ugandan press, you know, they in Uganda, people feel like their sovereignty needs to be respected and that they tout anti-LGBTism as their values, their cultural values. We have to be very, very careful how we approach that. And Hillary Clinton is absolutely brilliant, and this is an issue that she's on top of, and I have no doubt that we can be very, very effective if we do this right. Melanie, I want to thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, If people want to get a hold of you, follow your work, and support what you do. That's really important, too, because what you're doing is you're saving lives from people who who can't live in Africa uh, simply for being LGBTQI. Let us know. Yep. I would love people to go to our website at www.africanhrc.org. My blog, you can Google my name, Melanie Nathan. I'm sure my blog will pop up at oblogd, oblogda. And anybody who wants to contact me, you'll see email addresses on those blogs. And I'm happy to chat with anyone and um, would sure really, really appreciate all the support we can get from our community. The funding, the funding, that's so important, right? Yep. You know, I we're, we're not well-funded at all. This is not an issue that um, is well-funded, certainly from our perspective here. Um, in terms of what we do here, I, I'm an unpaid executive director. I, it's a volunteer position. And um, if we could get funding, most, well, all of it really, there's nothing operational that we take for ourselves, but we just um, put it, you know, provide safe shelter, food, medicine to people who are on the run, and we provide exile guidance. And any funding that comes our way is greatly appreciated. Mel, thanks again for joining us here today, and I always appreciate uh, you coming back on the show and sharing what's happening in other countries impacting the LGBTQI community. Thanks for the forum, Michelle. You're doing a great job. I really appreciate it. 
Don't go away. We'll be right back. You'll want to come back because our next guest is Sarah McBride. She is the first transgender American to address the Democratic National Convention. So if you tuned in, you heard her very, very powerful words in calling for full equality here in this country. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Chuck Spence. I'm the owner of the Maui Sunseeker LGBT Resort, and I'm also vice president of Maui Pride. It's not just the only LGBT resort in Maui, it's the only LGBT resort in all of Hawaii, which is really kind of amazing. Maui Sunseeker actually started years and years before I even got involved. I came along as one of the owners a little bit later in, in life. I came to Maui back in 1978 and absolutely loved the island. I fell in love and I thought, this is where I want to live, this is where I want to be. And so from 1978 until 2008, I finally came alive with the dream and bought the Maui Sunseeker because I realized that this would be the next step in my life and um, thought that this would be an ideal situation because I could do something that, that was my own business rather than making money for other people. It's important to have a place where you know you can feel comfortable about yourself, you can feel loved, and you can feel welcomed by everybody. And I think that that's the ambiance that we try to create. And, and that's the message that, that we try to deliver in all of our ads and trying to bring people to Maui, is that you know we're not just an experience on Maui, we're an experience of Maui. When you think back years ago, how closeted we used to be, and you think about how suppressed we were back then to how open and accepting we are now and and it's it's a good progression for society it's good that people are, are not just you know tolerating but appreciating diversity and that's the message is that we really need to make sure that, that people appreciate diversity I think that whoever you are follow your passion follow what you believe in follow whether it leads you down the path of art or whether it leads you down a path of business or you know, some other aspect of internet creativity. Um, follow that and, and just be passionate about what you do. Spotlight on Success and Achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here this uh, Thursday, August 11th. We just finished and wrapped up our conversation with Melanie Nathan and uh, talked about what's happening in Uganda. I think she had some great things to say, especially about if our next president, the one that we want, the one that we think can really uh, work on foreign relations and uh, also human rights issues, um, that I think that, that she's very correct and that that person should be Hillary Clinton. Speaking of our presidential candidate, Hillary Clinton, I'm very excited to uh, introduce to you our next guest, who is the first transgender American to address the Democratic National Convention. When I reached out to her, I just uh, I couldn't believe that she responded right away, and I geeked out like a little girl. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Sarah McBride, who's on the phone. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Um, like I said, I, I, I totally geeked out. I mean, you know, I was like this young little girl glued to the television, like many Americans during the Na uh, Democratic National Convention, listening to all the speeches. And, um, you know, it brought this moment of complete 
joy and, and just a proud moment to see you up there. Were you nervous at all? Well, you know, I mean, first it was an incredible honor to have that opportunity to, to share my story and to hopefully educate the country a little bit more about what it means to be transgender and the unfinished work of the LGBTQ community. I was nervous before I went on, but honestly, once I got on that stage, the energy in that arena and, and the just total and complete affirmation from the audience um, and support for trans equality really just put me at ease. And I waiting to, to, to speak when Congressman Maloney was speaking, and then once I got up to the podium to speak myself, um, I actually felt at ease. Uh, but it was still surreal. I mean, it's still it's still an unbelievable thing to, to think back on. Uh, and I'm just so incredibly honored that I had the opportunity, and, and I hope I did proud by the transgender and broader LGBTQ community. I think so. Absolutely. There's nothing to not be proud of. Um, certainly, you know, I think you hit it right there on the nail in terms of uh, addressing the entire country uh, as far as the work that we need to do. So even mm-hmm. if there were many of us in the LGBTQ community who say, for example, feel that um, Hillary Clinton needs to, 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 to be focused on some of the issues that impact us. It's safe to say, though, to be the first transgender American to go up there and say, we have more work to do is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about more work to do. First of all, you know, you've, you've done a lot of work when it comes to transgender uh, rights here in this country. And we're still continuing to focus on something that I'm embarrassed to mention here on the program. Uh, but that is, you know, equal access to something as simple as the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no question that uh, bathrooms right now are sort of at the center of this debate. And, you know, that's also not totally surprising. Bathrooms have been at the center of, of really every effort for equal and civil rights uh, over the last half century. Uh, and it's because opponents of equality know that everyone, understandably, feels vulnerable in bathrooms. And uh, when you when you talk about that space, uh, it, it raises red flags with people and it gets people nervous. But the reality is is that um, bathroom access is an integral part of being able to fully and equally participate in public life. If a transgender person can't use the bathroom that makes sense for them, that means the bathroom that's consistent with their gender identity, then it becomes much harder to go to work. It becomes much harder to go to school, uh, to, to go down uh, on Main Street. And so that's why opponents know, uh, that's why opponents are targeting that area is because they know that it's uh, really an effective way to sort of legislate transgender people out of public life. Um, and it's incredibly important for us. And, and, and the attacks that we've seen over the last particularly six months from, from some anti, from, from anti-LGBTQ politicians, I think have really demoralized and, and hurt the community, both uh, in real substantive ways, but also in, in a broader emotional ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, I think the opposition to those hateful bills that we've seen from places like the business community and from the general public in in states like North Carolina, the the total and complete support from folks like President Obama and Secretary Clinton, I think, have provided a lot of comfort and security for people who are feeling under attack and, and vulnerable. Let's talk about, um, you know, President Obama's administration. I mean, shortly after uh, many of these anti-trans bills, um, that, you know, have been 
have passed, have tried to pass, some of these states who have done that. Uh, President Obama did put out a national uh, initiative to allow for transgender students to use uh, the accommodations that they identify with, and that has been met with backlash. Do you think that Secretary Clinton would continue these initiatives, um, you know, if, if elected as president? Well, one of the things that Secretary Clinton has promised to do um, is to continue to interpret federal civil rights laws that include sex to include the LGBTQ community. Because at, at its core, anti-LGBTQ bias and discrimination is sex discrimination. It's discrimination based on gender stereotyping, whether that's the stereotype of, of who someone should love based on their gender or the assumption of what your gender identity should be based on the sex you are assigned at birth. At their core, these are sex. This is sex discrimination, and Secretary Clinton has committed to following and building on the Obama administration's um, interpretation of sex discrimination and sex protections to include the LGBTQ community. And that's a reflection of a growing legal trend that we've seen in, in courthouses across the country over the last several years. Um, and and you know, President Obama's administration's guidance that they offered uh, to schools across the country. You know, it wasn't just about these attacks we're seeing in places like North Carolina. Um, it's also a reflection of the fact that more and more young people are coming out as transgender, and more and more schools, administrators, teachers, neighbors are saying, "We want to know how we should how we should we should include these folks, how we should how we should treat transgender students with dignity and respect." And this guidance was a reflection of people asking for for help and guidance. Uh, in, in order to make sure that every student feels welcome, safe, and included in our, in our schools. And, and that's, I think, what, what started the, the effort for guidance um, by the Department of uh, Education, and frankly, the reason why it ended up coming out. And it just sort of coincided with this broader uh, legislative discussion around trans equality. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. I want to I want to ask you uh, in terms of, um, you know, you mentioned uh, making the transgender community proud. And uh, on my Facebook feed, and it, it, it's funny because, you know, we're gauging people's reactions <laughs> to everything on Facebook these days. But there were certainly um, a few transgender transgender delegates um, there at the Democratic National Convention, I think over 20 and a couple mm -hmm. here from. California or Northern California, at least, where, you know, one uh, was a uh, Secretary Clinton's uh, delegate or Hillary Clinton delegate and the other was Bernie Sanders delegate. And so there's mm -hmm. this conversation, right, about uh, Bernie Sanders still versus Hillary Clinton. Um, it, I wanted to ask, you know, in terms of like what your thoughts were, because you do this this work outside of being known as the first transgender American to address the DNC. Uh, your everyday life uh, is is working on improving life for all of us here, especially the transgender community. So when you think about like states who are trying to pass these anti-trans bills and having the discussion about, you know, kind of what the 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 uh, the federal government can also do about that. Um, you know, my thoughts are even if you support Bernie Sanders and he's no longer in the race, I mean, the work doesn't end there. There's so much that we need to be doing for, you know, stateside. Right. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right, and and there's no question that uh, this November there are uh, LGBT issues are on the, LGBTQ issues are on the ballot from president on down. Uh, local uh, local elected officials, state elected officials, whether it's state legislators or governors, these are folks at the front lines of the LGBTQ equality movement, and they're at the front lines of either supporting us or or attacking us. 
And so this November, obviously, the presidential race is incredibly important. But we also need to make sure we elect a pro-equality majority in Congress so that we can pass the Equality Act to make sure that everyone has clear and comprehensive non-discrimination protections. Uh, and then at the local and the state level, that's, that's the, those are the, the areas of government that we're seeing so much of the action occur, both good and bad. Uh, and so, so, you know, regardless of, of where folks were in the primary, I certainly encourage them to support Secretary Clinton because she uh, really has uh, put forward the most comprehensive and detailed uh, platform on LGBTQ equality ever presented by any candidate, any major party candidate president, let alone a major party nominee. Um, but even beyond Secretary Clinton uh, and Tim Kaine, we need to make sure we're, we're, we're paying attention to races for Congress and Senate. Uh, as well as state legislatures, governors, mayors, and city councilors. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm referring to the millions, you know, of people who came out to support Bernie Sanders um, during the primaries. And, and kind of where does that support go? Did you have any conversations or, or ongoing discussions with those who may have been a part of the Bernie Sanders ride? And, and you know, because I'm thinking like out of those millions, we could be doing so much on the, the local level, on the state level. Well, I think that that's absolutely right. And I think one of the things that Bernie Sanders really did incredibly well was mobilize individuals. And we need to make sure that that mobilized mobilization that people um, engaged in for his primary campaign, that that continues on, on issues past November, that we're talking about engaging people um, in legislative efforts. We talk about engaging people in local races. And for me, the vast majority of Bernie Sanders supporters that I've talked to are are not only supporting Secretary Clinton, but are excited and, and, and ready for November and, and um, looking forward to, to casting their vote for her. Uh, and, and I think that over the next several months, we'll, we'll see more and more folks uh, mm-hmm. come to Hillary Clinton's side and, and realize that really uh, the stakes of this election are just too important um, uh, not, to, not to support the only candidate that has a viable chance to defeat Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't be complacent, uh, despite his his current polling, uh, because if we if we do become complacent, that is the pathway for which Donald Trump can become president, and that would obviously have dangerous and serious consequences, not just for LGBTQ people, but for really marginalized Americans across the board. Right. My next question was going to be: Could you imagine a a, a country with uh, under Trump as as a transgender American? I, I, I try not to, um, because it is so scary. Uh, we have made so much progress over the last eight years, uh, not just for the LGBTQ community more broadly, but for the trans community in particular. Someone called it a, a quiet revolution, and I think that that's a, a fair description based on, on a lot of the amazing work uh, that the Obama administration has been doing, not just in the last year, but in the last seven and a half years. And Obviously, there's still a lot more work to do. Uh, and if Donald Trump and Mike Pence are elected, you can surely bet that, that we're not going to move forward. But you can also bet that, that we're going to see a lot of the progress that we've seen undone. Um, Donald Trump sort of pretends every once in a while that he likes LGBTQ people. Uh, <laughs> but despite reading those letters off the teleprompter, every single instance that he's had a chance to actually demonstrate that support, uh, he has, has chosen the opposite side. He's endorsed um, uh, the right of states, the ability of states to, to discriminate against transgender people. He's committed, he said that he would sign legislation uh, that would allow for Kim Davis-style discrimination nationwide. 
uh, and he's in his effect and effectively his first governing decision chose a vice presidential running mate whose entire national profile is built around being anti-LGBTQ. Right. Uh, and so this, this, this is an individual who poses a serious, serious risk to the community. Um, and there's also obviously, as I mentioned, no question that um, his attacks on women, immigrants, Muslim Americans, people with disabilities, uh, you name it, uh, that, that when he attacks any one of us, he's attacking all of us. Uh, and, and that really a, a Donald Trump presidency uh, would be would, would seek to return us to an era where large swaths of the population of this country were either cast into the shadows or or facing serious violence and discrimination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wanted to, you know, you guys kind of brought me to tears when I was, like I said, and not, not just because I was proud that, you know, a transgender American was speaking at the DNC, the very first one, but you also opened up in your, your speech, even if it was three, four minutes um, in telling your own personal story. Kind of, you know, walk us through and tell us why you chose to do that and share uh, your own story with millions of Americans out there. Well, I think for me, one of the important things um, during those three to four minutes was to demonstrate to people that transgender people are people who hurt when we're mocked, who hurt when we're discriminated against, and who just want to be treated with dignity and fairness. For people who laugh and cry and hope and dream and fear and love just like everyone else. Uh, and I wanted to really underscore that in, in that speech. I think there's a saying that people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Um, and that was sort of on my mind when I, when I wrote my speech. Um, I could have listed off a litany of, of problems that the community's facing because there's certainly a, a three to four minutes worth of, of, of them. Um, and, and each one of them is important, um, but I, I thought that this was an opportunity that, that while we needed to talk about the unfinished work of, of the trans and LGBTQ community, we also needed to, to really talk to people who have never met a transgender person, or at least that they know of. Uh, we needed to talk to people who maybe understand that they're supposed to be good on trans rights, but just, just don't feel the empathy and just don't understand um, that that what it means to be transgender and what it's like to be transgender and, and again, forget that the humanity behind this issue. And so that was my goal, and that's what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I hope I succeeded in that. But yeah, absolutely was, did, definitely. I had a room full of... my goal. Uh, yeah, I had a room full of, um, you know, Asian Americans who are tuning in and also seeing you for the first time and seeing that on, you know, national television for the first time. And so... There was a lot of first times for a lot of people, and I think you did incredible. Um, thank you so much for being here, by the way, and for doing all the work you do. I've got one last question before I let you go sure. and, and do all the great things that you do. And that is, you know, uh, the concerns of many transgender Americans who are concerned about the rate of transgender murders, uh, who are concerned about, you know, um, the imprisonment of transgender Americans who um, you know, it, it, it's difficult for transgender Americans to get jobs. And they're being criminalized for some of the things that they rely on for survival. Um, we're all, there are also a lot of transgender 
uh, people who are concerned about you know immigration issues as as it impacts them and and transgender people of color here in this country. Do you think that Secretary Clinton is aware of that, and do you think that uh, you know we'll we'll finally be able to address on a very large scale the epidemic that transgender people face in this country outside of just public accommodations? I, that's a great question, and I and I do. Um, Secretary Clinton has uh, spoken frequently about both the experiences of LGBTQ uh, immigrants, uh, including those who are are currently in immigration detention facilities facing really unsafe conditions, uh, the need to to just to, to address that issue. Uh, she's called violence against transgender women an urgent crisis and has repeatedly spoken out about the need for us to address that. And and you know, one of the things that I really admire about Secretary Clinton um, is that throughout the primary campaign and into the general election, she's acknowledged that while there are a host of issues um, facing our country, ranging from income inequality to racism to homophobia and transphobia, that we can't address only one of them. That uh, if we solve income inequality tomorrow, uh, there'd still be racism, there'd still be sexism, there'd still be homophobia and transphobia, that we need to uh, really put our effort behind addressing every single issue that this country faces, every single prejudice this country uh, experiences. And, and, and in doing so, um, in addressing the lethal combination of transphobia and racism, um, we can help to, to end this epidemic of, of violence against transgender women of color. We can, uh, we can, we can make sure that LGBTQ immigrants um, are in safe conditions and are able to live uh, freely uh, without fear of deportation uh, in this country. And so I absolutely think that that, that is at the heart of, of the, the work that she's going to be doing, and it's at the heart of her platform for LGBTQ equality. Sarah, I want to thank you again so much for joining me here on this program. You definitely make me feel really, really lucky to be doing what I'm doing, but also I want to thank you for you know, doing the work and keeping uh, equality on top of mind for all Americans, including the transgender community. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to join you. Don't go away when we come back. Final thoughts. And I will play Sarah's. Yes, that's right. Sarah's speech if you missed it on television. So don't go away. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care serving your community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, 
Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Thursday, August 11th. What a great show. We discuss what's going on in Uganda and the continued anti-LGBTQ climate that's perpetuated, by the way, uh, from religious groups and as well as American individuals, a gentleman by the name. I shouldn't call him a gentleman because he's really not, but he's been on the program and that is he calls himself an anti-LGBTQ activist, Scott Lively. Um, anyway, there is a lot that we can do. And I think that 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 conversation also needs to we need to we need to take into account who is going to be our leader come, you know, 2017 and who can really impact human rights issues in other countries. And I certainly think that that uh, Secretary Hillary Clinton would be do a better job, would 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 uh, be the better candidate than Donald Trump. Um, that's for sure. Anyway, I promised you before the break that I would play the speech uh, of Sarah McBride, who's the first transgender American to address the Democratic National Convention. And here it is. She's being introduced by Congress uh, Congressman Sean Maloney, who is out and gay. So, and here it is. Introduce Sarah McBride. Sarah McBride is a courageous young leader, and she is right now the first trans person ever to address a national convention. Sarah. It's about time. Sarah, it is an honor to make history with you because we are stronger together. Thank you so much, Congressman. My name is Sarah McBride, and I am a proud transgender American. ago, I came out as transgender while serving as student body president in college. At the time, I was scared. I worried that my dreams and my identity were mutually exclusive. 
Since then, though, I've seen that change is possible. I witnessed history interning at the White House and helping my home state of Delaware pass protections for transgender people. Today, I see this change in the work of the LGBT caucus and in my own job at the Human Rights Campaign. But despite our progress, so much work remains. Will we be a nation where there's only one way to love, only one way to look, and only one way to live? Or will we be a nation where everyone has the freedom to live openly and equally, a nation that's stronger together? That is the question in this election. For me, this struggle for equality became all the more urgent when I learned that my future husband, Andrew, was battling cancer. I met Andy, who was a transgender man fighting for equality, and we fell in love. And yet, even in the face of his terminal illness, this 28-year-old, he never wavered in his commitment to our cause and his belief that this country can change. Andy and I married in 2014, and just four days after our wedding, he passed away. Knowing Andy left me profoundly changed, but more than anything else, his passing taught me that every day matters when it comes to building a world where every person can live their life to the fullest. Hillary Clinton understands the urgency of our fight. She'll work with us to pass the Equality Act, to combat violence against transgender women of color, and, the end, and to end the HIV and AIDS epidemic once and for all. Today in America, LGBTQ people are still targeted by hate that lives in both laws and in hearts. Many still struggle just to get by. But I believe that tomorrow can be different. Tomorrow we can be respected and protected, especially if Hillary Clinton is our president. And that's why I'm proud to stand here and say that I'm with her. Thank you all very much. And that was Sarah McBride, words of the first transgender American to address the Democratic National Convention. Uh, you know, I'm still on a high from the DNC and uh, definitely feeling extremely proud as a, as a Democrat, really, as an LGBTQI American and an LGBTQI uh, Democrat. And I think that the overall takeaway that, uh, you know, people can take with them if you're tuning into the program, if you've had ongoing conversations with me, is that we just can't stop. There is a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do. And, and uh, unfortunately, progress in this country sometimes takes a really, really, really long time. And although Secretary Hillary Clinton may not be your candidate or your first pick, 
uh, there are things that we need to do to continue to progress forward. So it doesn't stop here. It doesn't mean that we just kind of stop what we're doing because we dislike these two presidential candidates. Uh, the fact that there is still an opportunity for us to move forward, I think that we need to take that opportunity. I want to thank everybody for joining me here on the program today and for listening to our two fantastic interviews, Sarah McBride as well as Melanie Nathan. Um, I, uh, you know, Both had a lot of great things to say in terms of where we think Secretary Hillary Clinton will go in 2017. And at this point, uh, many activists in the LGBTQI community do feel that she is the right choice. Uh, and hopefully we can we can work with Secretary Hillary Clinton, who hopefully will be our president um, in these issues that we care about. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm here Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com.